I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. It is indeed the KSL Greenhouse Show. Sitting in for Maria Shaleo, Sipe Dave Beacon. It's my pleasure to be here alongside Ton. It's on heading into the break. We kind of had to cut our chelated iron discussion a little bit short. So let's kind of wrap that up and then we're going to chat with some callers. All right. So when something's in solution, imagine dumping Kool Aid into water, mixing it up with sugar. And it just, you have liquid and the sugar and the Kool-Aid go into solution. Right. And so similarly, iron and other micronutrients that are used by plants, including trees, have to be in solution in the water and the soil. And at high pH, there's a number of elements that will settle out of the soil. And I don't want to go into all the chemistry But they settle out and they're not water soluble. And even though they're in the soil, plants can't absorb them. And so there are many species like the maples we were talking about earlier that are unable to get enough iron out of the soil. So what chelated iron does, and there's several forms of it, but the reason we recommend EDDHA is that the the molecule, and it's a really complex molecule, holds on to an iron atom or, you know, if iron, I imagine if it, I don't know all the chemistry behind it, but it holds on to iron and keeps it water soluble. And so the tree can absorb it. And that's why EDDHA is important because it's resistant to settling out and it stays in solution. And uh, one of, one of, Part of this question is, is it only used on trees? The answer to that is no, but we no. probably hear it most often associated with trees, especially maples. Yes, especially maples, but many other trees. Peaches are, we commonly use iron on peaches in high pH soils, strawberries, raspberries, sometimes even peonies, peonies if you're not from Utah. <laughs> um, so there are many, many plants that can benefit from chelated iron. Roses are another one. There are several varieties of roses that are susceptible. And so it's more of a universal thing. But when it doesn't work, it's either irrigation or there's other elements that look similar. The leaf pattern looks similar. And so it could be manganese, magnesium, or maybe even copper that the um, plants are deficient in. And those, you almost have to do a foliar or a soil drench or both. But you could submit samples to like the USU and BYU soil labs of tissue of leaves, and they will process the leaves and determine if the, if the, the plant's missing micronutrients to help you figure out what to do. Yeah, and just so you understand that, Especially uh, in in trees, often one of the signs that you're missing the oil or the the oil, the iron, is that your leaves start to yellow. They'll drop early, things like that. Yes, eventually they turn white, and then they will get brown scorching. Mm-hmm. So the leave, the veins will stay a very light, almost uh, lemony, limey right, green. Right. 
with my maple that we struggled with for several years, uh, it would drop its leaves in early September. It was like, okay, I'm done. The struggle's over for this year. Let's see what happens next. Yeah, it's just one of those things. And I think the best solution to this is to plant adapted plants that don't get the iron chlorosis. The second one is to manage your irrigation because if a tree is being watered correctly, like a peach, uh, oftentimes it won't develop iron chlorosis because it's being watered weekly and allowed to dry out and then watered again and allowed to dry out moderately. And when there is air, we call it aeration porosity, but when you have air in the soil, even if the soil is a bit moist, it seems to be that the plants are better able to utilize what iron is available. And when you start watering shallowly more often, you run into more chlorosis. Okay, so hopefully that explains a lot more about iron, iron chlorosis, chelated iron, and so forth. All right, uh, we promised to take Wilma's call. Let's check in with Wilma. Wilma calling in for Twilla. How are you today? Good morning. How can we help you out? Uh, last, uh, well, last week, I went out to the garden. I had a volunteer banana squash grow. And it was sending out lots of runners and little banana squashes set. Two days later, I went back out to the garden, and the plant is dead. What could have caused it to die that quickly? Squash bugs would be the the main first thing that I thought of, yeah. (laughs) Now, would they have been on the leaves? No, they, they pierce the stems under the leaves, and they sever the conductive tissue that's moving water and nutrients back and forth, and they make it so that the plant can't transport those. And then you see the leaves and the stems just collapse, it turn yellow and die. happen almost overnight sometimes. Yeah, it was just strange to have it die so quickly but look so healthy. Um, another now, question, on, if on I the may... Leaves, we should clarify, they do lay their eggs underneath the leaves, so you could find them there if that was the problem. All right. Another question, if I may. Sure. Last week, somebody called in asking how to kill morning glory, and you named a product, and I didn't catch the name. There are a few name brands, but this time of year, the company is called Image. And then the product is just called All-in-One Lawnweed Killer. And the key ingredient that I think you probably heard us mention is quinclorac. Okay. Um, it was suggested to us to use 2,4-D on Morning Glory. Is Start hissing and making the sign of the cross and... <laughs> Uh, this time of year, no. you never use yeah. 2,4-D, ever. In the fall, but 2,4-D alone, is, is it'll yellow it, but it won't do much more. And so the quinclorac in like that all-in-one lawn weed killer does a much better job at cleaning it up. I think it's even more uh, effective than Roundup is. It is. So quinclorac's probably the best thing that you can get right now that will fight bindweed. So the name of the product was 
Image was the company, and could you spell the name of the product? Yeah, all in one, just three words, all in one. Okay. Lawn Weed Killer. And I would expect you can find that at pretty much any IFA, Steve Regan, Mogul Garden Centers. You know, it doesn't really roll off the tongue, but that's what it's called. And what was the name started with a C? Q, and it's Q-U-I-N. Okay. C-L. C-L? Yeah, C-L-O-R-A-C. And you have to be careful here because, you know, just because a product has quinchloric in it doesn't mean that you can use it in these hot temperatures. Okay. So you, this image all-in-one lead killer is one of the few that's registered for summer use, but I'd still spray it in the evening. And it's just meant for your lawn. Don't spray it in your garden or flower beds because it'll kill a lot of other plants. Does it uh, winter over? It just, it'll kill the bindweed. Probably you'll get a 70, 75% kill rate if you follow the instructions. It takes uh, probably two to three weeks to see results, but it does do it. Okay, great. Thank you for your help. All right, good luck with that, Wilma. The bindweed is just, its uh, to me, <laughs> it's the worst weed there is. It is. I'm finding that there's a few others that are almost up there right. with it. We should mention that you know these chemicals can be a powerful tool, but if you have bindweed everywhere in your lawn, there's something going on. You know, It lacks nutrients. It's not being watered correctly. And so longer term, these really need to be considered. And you still might get a few sprouts, but if there's bindweed everywhere in a lawn, I know that the lawn isn't being properly maintained. Right, because it's the grass should outcompete for the most part the bindweed. It should. So, yeah, if you've got it everywhere. I, I think that also, you know, if you get a little bit and don't address it, eventually it's just you're going to see more of it regardless of how healthy your lawn is, right? You are. And so that's a lack of attention or lack of dealing with it is another thing that can uh, invite more. And I think that's happens a lot too. Yeah. Here's a quick text. It says, I want to plant fall beads. Where can I get seed? I would check with local garden centers because they do, they might move the seed racks out for other merchandise, but they oftentimes have seed and you can just say, I want some beet seed. You might have to buy a quarter pound or a, you know, a few ounces or something, or they may still have packets. True Leaf Market in Salt Lake, you can order online from them locally, but True Leaf Market would also probably have them. And obviously, you always want to buy locally when you can, but mail order is also probably an option. It is. So. Johnny's would be one. There's several that you can order them right. from. Okay, well, let's take a break. If you've got a question, the lines are open. KSL Talk is the number to get in and ask Tanya your question. We'll be happy to help you out there. And we'll be back with more of the Greenhouse on KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, 
but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, boy. Should I tell another story? Sure. <laughs> but there's, there's an interesting Utah connection to this song. Fun, fun, fun. Now, this is how it's been told, and, and from credible sources, I think this is the truth. There's no question that, that, that this song was written with Mike Love and Brian Wilson uh, riding a cab from a hotel downtown in Salt Lake City heading to the airport. And the story goes that, and we're going to go back to Kanak here, which I, I don't mind talking about because it's now 1280 The Zone and it's part of the KSO family. So, uh, that you know, they had that association with those guys and that... The, the story goes that the program director at the station at the time had a T-Bird, and his daughter did this, lied about using it to go to the library, went downtown and played. Dad found out, took the keys away, and it inspired this song. Oh, that's pretty cool. And I should mention that our board operator and Dave, who's co-hosting, have been involved in radio since at least the early 70s. And so <laughs> this is firsthand knowledge. and. <laughs> My, um, I was not in radio in the seventies. I was a little too young, but, uh, Oh, you were 12 years old running a station. Come on. <laughs> My first big break in radio. That's what I'm going to call it. Actually came on 1280 and this is early seventies. I'm in elementary school and they would do these live requests. And I made one one time and my buddies heard it and I was famous at school the next day, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade. And that started me down that radio road. It was it was undeniable beyond that point. But. Yeah, I, I had a ninth grade teacher saying, you have radio voice. And it wasn't <laughs> I had any plans. It just happened I didn't date and read a lot of gardening books. But it ended up here. But <laughs> I love it. All right, back to the Greenhouse Show. That's really why we're here. We have got an interesting question, a tomato question. Our our texter says, I think my tomato has weed killer drift issues. Back in the late back in late May, the leaves curled and I thought it would die. It's huge now. The top is still curled and the bottom has a tiny bit of curl. It has a lot of flowers, but they brown and die. I realize it's too hot for tomatoes to set fruit, but no fruit it has no fruit at all. None. Will it set fruit ever, or should I just enjoy its size? Could it be a nutrient issue? Not drift. I think the two forty is impacting it along with the heat. Uh, you can do an internet search of 2,4-D damage or herbicide damage in tomatoes, and that will bring up the pictures to see. But you can see if you have an exposure like that, you can easily get a 75% reduction in the amount of fruit that's produced by a plant. And tomatoes are especially susceptible. They are. You say 2,4-D around a tomato. <laughs> they, oh, they start curling. You know, I have a 30-foot chain link fence covered in grapes. It's just one of those, I'm using it more of as a privacy barrier, but somebody sprayed a 2,4-D product in early spring and in about mid-May, the new growth coming out was all curled and I was just heartbroken because I didn't do it, 
but it's only on my side of the fence. So it's had to have drifted in by the wind from the south going north. And even from several hundred yards away, somebody spraying ditches or another yard, it can drift if it's too hot for right. several hundred yards. And that's why, you know, it's it's really sometimes you think you've gotten away with, oh, I think that temperature recommendation is just overblown. It's too conservative. And you go ahead and do it and you don't see any, you know, bad results in your yard from it, but you have no idea what you've done to somebody else's plant downwind. You do really don't. And you can sometimes, if like UDAF is doing an investigation, they can follow the damage back to an origin point and figure out who did it. That's crazy. <laughs> but and, and, and again, a tomato, a grape is another one that is super- Yeah, horrendously susceptible- yeah. Uh, peppers can be, but grapes sure. and tomatoes are the two that are just infamous for so being susceptible. It's just super important to make sure you yeah. watch those temperature you know, restrictions and you, and you adhere to them. Uh, one more text before we need to take a break here really quick. Uh, good morning. Love the show. Thank you. I have been using bisect around the house, around the outside of the house in the yard on the tree trunks. It works great on about every bug. I don't know anything about this. Product. Never heard of it. So. It may be a commercial product. So there you go. All right. We are going to, uh, we're coming up on a break. And uh, on the other side, what are we going to talk about at the top of the hour, Ton? We are going to have a recorded interview from the state entomologist with UDAF. And he's going to be talking about emerald ash borer. I think the Ooh, western yes. slope of Colorado had some infestations. It's been spreading along the front range. And so we'll be caught talking a little bit about this emerald ash borer that can be very devastating to our, a lot of our urban canopy. Yeah, and we'll talk about this more. You can't even buy an ash tree in the state right now, no, right? No, you can't. They've been you can if a local seller can propagate ones already in Utah, you can buy them, but nobody's doing it. Yeah, so that's how important and what a threat this is. And we're going to talk about that at the top of the hour when we get back on the other side of news, traffic, and weather. Thanks for joining us on the KSL Greenhouse News. <laughs> Let me try that again. The KSL Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.